I invite you to grab your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 2. We're going through the the one storyline of the Bible. And um, as we go through Genesis 1 and 2, one of the things that we see is that God lays out foundational truths that are non-negotiables for us. Um. Like that song that we sang, Ancient of Days. And I thought that title of God, Ancient of Days, that's a good way to think about God's non-negotiables. He is He is God. He is the Ancient of Days. He gets to create what life is all about, foundations for life. And we see these foundational truths in the first couple of chapters. And uh, what we're doing these first few weeks, last week, today. Next week is we're unpacking a few of these non-negotiables, that if we try to push against these non-negotiables, it doesn't go well for us uh, because we are the creatures and God is He's the creator. He's the ancient of days. And if you think about the story of the Bible, um, what we're going to talk about today, I mean, we see it throughout the Bible, um, and we see it, um, the theme of today, in particular, if you look at the, uh, the three years that are descri- of Jesus' life that are described in, in the Gospels, uh, you would think that those would be important years in human history to look at. Um, what, what is Jesus doing? What, and if you look at those three years of Jesus, and what he does, it's pretty remarkable what he does. He, he largely walks around with 12 people. Um, he, he goes through life with them. Wherever Jesus goes, they travel together. These 12 individuals and a few others would accompany them as well. Um, and it's, it's just remarkable uh, that what Jesus um, reinforces. He reinforces community that we do life together. And Jesus didn't start that because God started that a long time ago. Now, why did Jesus choose 12 disciples? Why not 10 or 15? Um, Because in the Old Testament, God has these 12 tribes of Israel. He makes this, this people, this community. And it's interesting that God doesn't say Um, I'm going to choose you to be in a one-on-one relationship with me, and I'm going to choose you to be in a one-on-one relationship with me, and you to be in a one-on-one relationship with me. God doesn't do that. God says, I choose you to be a part of this community that I'm building. And we might like for God to have chosen that first option, just that one-on-one, just me and God, and we're good. But that's not... That's not how the Ancient of Days set things up. God said, I'm going to call a community together. And I want to invite you to be a part of that community. Why did God do that? Um, So we're going to look a little bit at that today as we look at Genesis chapter 2. You know, one of the things that I hear um, quite often is this question, you know, can I be a Christian? 
and, and not go to church. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I can read my Bible on, the, on my own, right? I can, I can worship God on my own. I can listen to great preaching online. Um, lots of great sermons out there nowadays. Can I be a, a Christian and just do it all on my own? And the answer is no. I mean, it's just, it's no, you cannot. Why? Because God says, I'm calling a community, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. So we're going to see that in our scripture today. Um, let's start reading in verse 15. The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to the livestock the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, well, this is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, if you have your Bible open, keep it, keep it there. Look at verse 18. I think verse 18 is one of the critical verses to understand the story of the Bible. Um, if you remember from last week's sermon, we looked at Genesis chapter 1. One of the um, phrases that is repeated throughout Genesis 1 is the goodness of creation. God sees that his creation is good, and, and that's repeated throughout Genesis chapter 1. Um, but there is something that God sees and says it is not Good, and it's the first time that that is recorded in the scriptures. And what is it from verse 18? It's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good. Why wasn't it good? Because of how God has created human beings. We were created to be in community. And verse 18, this is a good question. Is verse 18 about um, solely? Is it about marriage? Is it, no, it's not, um, for several reasons. Um, verse 18 isn't saying it is not good for a man and a woman to remain unmarried, and we see that throughout the Scriptures. There are um, significant men and women of faith who are single throughout, we see throughout the Scriptures. Um, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, Paul even elevates singlehood and says, this is, this is, a, this is a good way to live. 
um, being single. And so we, when we look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we have to see that more is just between one man and one woman, but it is not good for human beings to be alone. Rather, God has created us for community. And in our culture, there may be no more important message today than we need community because of how fractured um, our society is. So let's look at the scripture um, to see what it says about how community is life-giving and how to actually have that kind of community. So one, I think we see in the scripture that I need community to grow in my walk with God. And if you'll look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, one verse before 18, um, here's what we, we read. Um, God sets limits for the man. You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Um, now, a little bit about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's, it's likely that that is not the extent of the knowledge, the wisdom that is imparted by eating its fruit, just good and evil. Most likely, um, that was a way, calling it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was a way of describing all wisdom and knowledge and insight. Like when you say, I'm going to search high and low for my car keys. You're not just going to search you know, on top of the bookshelves and down on the floor, but everywhere in between as well. So likely, this what is being communicated is um, this was the tree whose fruit contained wisdom for life, how to live life. And God sets a limit for the man. He says, you must find your wisdom for life in me, not by eating this fruit. I don't want you to eat that fruit. You have to depend on me for that. That's the limit. When Adam and Eve, um, if we peek over to chapter 3, and many of you know, peek over to chapter 3, and they, they defy that limit, and they eat that fruit. And in so doing, what are they doing? They're trying to live independently from God. They were making the decision to live beyond their limits. And so here's one of the big points from the garden. When we try to live independently from one another, we go beyond our God-given limits as well. God says it is not good for human beings to be alone. Um, Think about this. Where was Eve when God gave this command, don't eat from this fruit? She was not created yet. Uh, If you pay close attention to the the storyline, it's just Adam and God. God tells Adam that, and Adam is supposed to communicate that to Eve, isn't he? We need one another to grow in our relationship with God. Uh, Proverbs 27, you've heard of iron sharpening iron. Proverbs 27, 27, and as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So I need help from others 
for me to fully obey God. Um, why is that? I think one reason is because it is much too easy for me to grade myself high on my obedience to God. God says, be loving. Oh, I love love. I, I love it when people love me. I like that idea. Love one another. And I can grade myself pretty high on being loving just because I like the idea of God's command, love one another, because I get loved. Um, It's very easy for me to overgrade myself. I need to listen to one another, others speaking into my life um, to help me in my walk with the Lord. I have a really good friend. I had a really good friend. You know, time, time goes by and you drift apart. Um, Melissa and I were at another church, Northwest Houston. We had a really good friend. Um, and she is just one of the uh, extremely likable, extremely extroverted, um, off the charts, friendly, um, just a delightful, delightful person. And I remember a struggle that she was dealing with in her walk with God and with others. And it was being late. Um, she would say, hey, I'll meet you at this place at 7, and it wouldn't be 7.15, 7.20, 7.30 before she arrived. And the more that she thought about her walk with the Lord, it, she started realizing this is, this is a problem. I mean, I, I'm not loving that other person if I'm... 15, 20, 30 minutes late, right? But the way that she was able to overcome this was to bring others in with her. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this out into the light, this, this problem that I have of being on time. And I want to share this with you, and I want you to pray for me, and I, I'm going to report to you how I am doing in this. And I need your grace when I mess up, and I need your accountability to help me to stay true to my word for being on time. She's a great example of how we need one another. We don't just kind of try to be obedient on our own, but those areas where we're really struggling, we pull in our Christian brothers and sisters and say, I want you to walk through this with me and help me in this area. So we need one another to um, grow in our walk with God and ask you, do you have someone... Or do you have people from this church or others that you can do that with, where you have this area you're struggling with? You can pull them in and say, hey, will you help me grow in this area? If you don't have that, you need to get that. You need to get that. Two from this passage, I need community to be a healthy person. Um, Did you notice the the pause, this, this pause that happens between Verse 18 and verse 21. In verse 18, God says, I'm going to make this man a helper. Well, that doesn't happen until verse 21. What happens between 18 and 21? It's really interesting. Um, there's there's this, this description of where God brings all the animals before, before Adam, and Adam names them. So, you know, there's, there's the lions, and he names the lions, and then there's the elephants, and he names the elephants, and it's like God is testing to see if these animals would be suitable helpers. It's just how it's described. 
Will the lions be a suitable helper? No. Here comes the elephants. Are they going to be the helper? No. Here comes the dogs. Will dogs be the helper for the men? No. Here comes the cats. Definitely no. You know, it, it, it's just an interesting little storyline. And, and then after God has evaluated everything, he says, no, none of this will do. None of this will work. I need to make someone this man can love and who will love this man. Someone who will share mutual concerns with him and, and life with him. And so creates another human being. He creates a family. Not just a biological family, a family of faith. This is the first family of faith, Adam and Eve in the garden. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That's God's vision for human life. Um, Simone Vale was a, a French philosopher from the 20th century, and you know she had some she had some viewpoints that that we wouldn't all agree with um, here if, if you've read some of her stuff and, and know her history. But she um, she was definitely drawn towards Jesus Christ. And she was particularly drawn towards Christianity's high view of community. And she recognized the human need to be rooted. And here's one of the things that she wrote. She wrote, to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. Um. And, and sometimes we, 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 we want to declare our independence. We want to deny our need to be rooted. And what she meant by rooted, one of the things that she meant, was this feeling of belonging, that I belong to this community. We can think of being rooted to a geographical location, and that happens to some degree. I like Texas. Here's my roots. Um... But even more so, God, infinitely more so, God wants us to develop roots into a community of faith, to a people. Um, God knows it is not good for us to be alone. So back to verse 18. Let's see how this verse ends. I will make a helper suitable for the man, God says. And it's important um, to know what is meant by that word helper because you may be thinking, yeah, I need to help her. I need to help her around this house. I need to help her with my algebra homework. You know, I, I need an assistant. Um, I hate going to the grocery store. I need to do some curbside check-in from HEB and get a helper out here. And that's not what is meant by that word, an assistant. Um, the most frequent way that that word is used in Scripture is to describe God as our help. That's the amazing thing about that word. If you look for how that word is used in the Bible, most often it is describing God as our helper. Psalm 70, among many other psalms, one of among many, um, say this about God. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, God. You are my help. You're my help. 
and my deliverer. So not you're, you're my assistant. That is not what that is saying. You're my help. I need you. You're my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. We need help. So God gives us community. So community can be our helper. There's a real fascinating study, and I've shared this with you before. It's just so cool. We have to remember it. Rosetto, Pennsylvania. Um, back in the 1960s, there was a study done of this, this smaller town in Pennsylvania that was primarily settled by people um, immigrating from Italy, specifically Rosetto, Italy, a little town and rural town in Italy. And uh, people in this town in Pennsylvania were known for their unusually good health. And so doctors finally did a study on it, how these people from Rosetto, Pennsylvania, so healthy. Um, People over 65 had a death rate half of the national average, the death rate overall one-third of the national average. No one over, uh, no one, was it over? Um, No one under 55 showed any signs of heart disease whatsoever. And so, you know, there were some guesses from doctors initially. Well, maybe it's genetics. You know, people immigrating over from Italy and they have just healthier genetics. Well, what they found out is that when people moved away from Rosetto, Pennsylvania, they got sick. And they, they kind of, it wasn't genetics. Um, was it a healthy lifestyle that they maintained the healthy lifestyle of their you know, their family over in, in the Mediterranean, or a healthy diet, a Mediterranean diet. Nope. No, they, they kind of got into American fast food just like everyone. Um, a lot of them smoked in Rosetto, Pennsylvania. It wasn't a healthy diet. It wasn't a healthy lifestyle. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, wasn't genetics. What? What's, the, what's the, the link? Doctors started observing sociologically what was going on in Rosetta, Pennsylvania, and they noticed how multiple generations of families would live either in the same home or near one another. Um, they noticed the family meals that were shared together in Rosetta. They, they noticed how many people were just visiting with one another on their front porches in this Pennsylvania town. They, they noticed the deep community that was shared in Rosetta, Pennsylvania. And that study has been confirmed repeatedly. Different, different, different types of studies. But what has been significantly found is that living in community is a significant factor for emotional health, yes. Physical health, yes. Community is good for the heart, soul, and body if you are in the right kind of community. Because I know you. Because I know myself. We've been a part, somewhere in our lives, a part of bad communities. Or bad examples of communities. Maybe friend groups. And after the fact, you're like, ooh, that was not good for me. Maybe an interesting work dynamic in the office where over time you're like, something is deeply unhealthy about this network of people that are working here and me. 
Um, could be family dynamics, unhealthy family structure. Um, and we talk about the importance of roots. Well, how many times have we heard a story of someone saying, I'm, you know, I'm moving out, I'm, I'm whatever, I graduate, or I go to college, and then they say, I'm never coming back, or something like that. Because we've been a part of bad communities. Um, community can be tough. Even in, even, in, even in ideal communities, even in church communities, communities can be tough. Parker Palmer, uh, what, you know, I've quoted from him every once in a while. He's, a, he's got a great heart for the Lord, a somewhat cynical view of uh, the human heart. And he writes that uh, about community. Community is the place where the person you least want to be there is always there. That's, that's what he says about community. Um, you know, there's always someone getting under our skin. In those bad examples of community, maybe there's someone there that you know is always judging you or thinking poorly of you or placing unrealistic demands on you. We've all experienced the curse that happens because of sin. And there's a fundamental breakdown of human relationships that happens with sin. We see it in Adam's response to, to God. Uh, jump, jumping to chapter 3. By the way, next week we're going to talk more about chapter 3 of Genesis and then Noah. Um, but jumping ahead a little bit in chapter 3, they, Adam and Eve eat from this fruit, and, and God, God calls them on it. He asks, where are you? Um, Adam and Eve went to that off-limits place. They defied the limits that God set on them and said, well, we'll eat this fruit. So God asked, where are you, Adam? In verse 10, chapter 3, answered, well, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And there's just so much that we can glean from those three verses. Um, what, what does Adam feel? Well, he feels shame, and he hides from God. I was afraid, so I hid. Adam feels ashamed. Adam blames Eve for giving him the fruit. He blames God for giving him Eve. Um, so we see it's not just the blame game, it's the shame in the blame game. And, and that's what human sin, that's how human sin twists human community. It injects shame and blame into our relationships. And shame, thinking that we don't measure up to others' standards of us, and blaming others, what we often do to relieve our shame, will just kill the community that God wants for us. So what is the solution of this dilemma, this, this maybe love-hate uh, relationship we have with community? We know we need it, but it can wear us down. What's the solution? God makes human community possible 
by inviting us into his community. See, God wants us to have a certain kind of community. One in which we give help and one in which we receive help. Same community. And the secret to having that kind of community is actually to think about what God says in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. In our likeness, and and God is revealing Himself as the God who is in community. In this verse, uh, the community of the divine Trinity. Let us make man in our image. We have this triune God in community: Father, Son, Holy Spirit, already in community. And God says, "I'm going to make you in my likeness, in our likeness." the God who is already in community. And God invites us to be, first and foremost, in a part of his community. To live in that community, this divine community. Now, the only stipulation that God gave Adam was to not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were not able to do it. Why did they, why did they eat from it? Well, essentially... They were not trusting God when God said, if you eat of it, you will die. They weren't trusting that. They weren't really believing that. And they wanted to decide for themselves what was right and wrong, and that's pride. They wanted community with God, just not on God's terms, rather their own terms. And here's what we need to see. When we try to build human community on our terms and not God's terms, it's always going to lead to this blame and shame game and self-destruct. When we don't build community on God's commands, then any community we make, including a church community, if a church community is made not by following God's commands, then it will start looking like any just dysfunctional group of people together. But God makes a way for us to reclaim community as it was meant to be for us. He invites us into his community. Uh, One of the things that the Bible says about Jesus is Jesus is the last Adam. Have you noticed that? Read from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Verse 45 says, The first man, Adam, became a living being. So like Adam from the Garden of Eden, became a living being. And through Adam, we receive physical life, born as a physical human being. The last Adam, Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. Through Jesus, the last Adam, we receive life as he invites us into his community. Through the grace of God, we are forgiven and accepted by Christ into his community with no standards that we have to live up to. God doesn't say, you're not meeting the cut today. Get out. And when we trust in Christ, what does he do? He just accepts us into his community. He accepts us. He accepts you into his community. Now look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, it, as they were a part of that untarnished community with God, they felt no shame. And that's what God wants, to us to ha- wants for us to have when 
we come into his community. No shame. No shame in Christ. And if we do not have to do anything to prove ourselves to Christ, then how in the world should we feel like we have to prove anything to one another in our Christian family of faith, community of faith? You are accepted by Christ, and so you can be free of shame. And then the Bible says, now accept one another, just as Christ has accepted you. And this gives us, I think, one of the most important qualities of real human community as God intends it. This quality of accepting one another so that we can be free of shame, feeling like we're not measuring up. The joy of Christian community is that we can truly be the community that everyone is looking for. Where indeed we are glad to see one another. Because we're not judging one another. Because we have nothing to prove to one another. But just as we've been accepted by Christ, we are accepting one another and glad to be together. That's the joy of real human community. We are all simply broken sinners who have been given new life through the grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, now I want you to build this community, this godly community right here. So I want you to reflect on two questions um, today, this week. Sometime this week. Two questions. What is one thing that I can do to grow roots deeper in the community of faith? See, it is true that, that real community begins with God, but there is some intentionality that we got to bring as well. I mean, God helps us grow roots in, in a community, but we've got we to be planted. We've got to plant ourselves to some degree. We've got to stick our roots into a community of faith. Um, so what is one way that you can plant roots deeper in, in our community of faith here? Some community of faith. What can you do to, to, to sink your roots deeper? So I invite you to, to think about that question this week. Bring that before God. Listen to what God tells you. Um, second question, how can I, stick an I there, how can I give and receive help in the community of faith? True community is one in which you're able to share your true self, your true experiences, your, your true struggles, and receive, not rejection, <laughs> but receive support and encouragement. Not condemnation, but where you receive love and acceptance. True community is where we can really be that helper for one another. That God says, you need a helper. and We can be that for one another. So will you think of a way that you can give help, 
Um, maybe that's getting to know someone in particular in the church, just so they'll know I've got someone reaching out to me who cares about me. Maybe there's a, a real tangible need that you can meet in someone's life. Think of what you can do to help, and also think of one way that you can receive help from someone in our community of faith as well. Because it's not, it's, it's mutual. Mutual giving and receiving that makes community beautiful and life-giving. So write it down, pray about it, act on it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, even now, we are in your community. You have accepted us. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that as we search to, to, to belong somewhere, you've already said, I want you to belong to me. You're my child. And I've given you many, many brothers and sisters in my family as well. And so as we think about our life and our connection and our roots, where we're rooted and um, the help that we can give and receive from one another, Lord, we know ultimately it comes as a gift from you. You've, you've blessed us greatly. And you've, you've given us a, a high calling. And the only way for us to live in that high calling to be a part of this community is to be filled with your love and, and to know that you have forgiven us and that you've accepted us and there's nothing we can do that will turn you away from us because through Jesus you've, you've given us forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. And help us to now bring that into our human relationships um, so that we can... Indeed, help this family of faith to be life-giving for everyone that you bring here. And we pray this in his name, Jesus. Amen.